Good morning, church. Those of you who are joining us in the room, those of you who are joining us online, can you believe it's June, which means the summer is officially and unofficially here, and we are launching this morning a new summer teaching series, and it starts in the real estate market. I want you to imagine a home with me. In fact, I've got a picture of one here. I don't know where this is. It just looks kind of pretty, doesn't it? And my wife loves homes that have porches around the outside. So let's imagine this home. Let's, let's walk in the front door and let's wander around a little bit. And every so often, it's, it's wise, whether it's your home or a home you're considering, to do a bit of a home inspection. I was digging through our files, and I found the one that we had done on our home when we first moved to Mississauga in 2011. I know these kind of fell out of fashion a little bit over the past few years because everything was so hotly contested and bidding wars and no time for an inspection. Uh, An inspection is a good idea. Here, for example, is what I found in our home inspection report. Sections of the roof are old and will need replacement. We found that out the hard way. If you don't replace those, it starts raining inside the house in places where you hadn't imagined. So, yeah, points to the home inspector there. Um, Aging maple tree on front property with root system, probably invasive of foundation. We found that one out the hard way, too. Lots of digging. Uh, Whatever it is, it's good to spend some time just surveying the house. What kind of shape is it in? This is your house, after all. This is where you lay your head at night. This is where you set your table. This is where you relax at the end of the day. Are your kitchen cupboards full? How about your study? Yeah, Do you have studies? We're going to talk about a house that's big enough that it feels like a clue board. Remember, the clue had rooms that we don't normally have, a conservatory and, and a study and a ballroom. And This is a big house. It's imaginary, so... Let's make it, let's make it grand. Uh, what about the books in your study? What does that say about you? Uh, and as we move from the world of, of the physical and start to inhabit a world that's less about bricks and mortar and, and more about thoughts and convictions and, and truths and hopes, we're going to take this analogy with us, this, this physical home, beautiful, spacious, well-kept, We're going to move it into the arena of something maybe a little bit more personal or thoughtful. We're going to think about your spiritual house. You have one, you know. There is a place that you live, your your soul, a place that you inhabit. And maybe we don't think of it along those lines, certainly not of that plush, well-appointed place. In fact, sometimes our spiritual homes are in a pretty sad state of repair, like maybe like this one. Maybe little more than than a shanty off on some hillside, barely able to keep the rain off you at night, if at all, or the wind from chilling your hearts. We settle. I mean, for for eight weeks during the teaching on Colossians, we talked about how often we settle for something lesser than what God has in mind for us. Here's another place where we settle. We settle with a spiritual home that is not nearly as robust as what God has planned. He envisions a, a, a seat, a, a place for your soul where the roof never leaks and the walls never crack and, and the foundation never trembles. It has an observatory in it. Remember I said this is a big house. 
And in the observatory, your, your, your thoughts are going to be stretched to the vastness and the majesty of God and his universe. It has a chapel in it, a chapel in your home, a place where you'll be humbled by a living encounter with a living God. It has a study where you'll be directed. It has a kitchen where you'll be nourished. It, it has all of this. And in God's plan, there is this, this space that has been fashioned for you. A plate set for you at a table that God has made. A living room with a chair reserved just for you. Under his roof, there is space available. In any place less, and it just means we're settling. We're settling for less than what is all sufficient. We're settling for for things that sometimes are dangerous. We're settling for things that are are outside of, of God's will and intent where we fall victim to all kinds of things. We're just, we're settling. It's not what God has in mind. I want to read you a verse here. Some of you have heard it before. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to hear it, and you're going to hear it again. We're going to say it. And, and this is going to actually be the launching off pad for the next 12 weeks of teaching. This is Acts 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Will you say that with me? For in him we live and move and have our being. Do you hear the language of a home there, of a house? It's not just that, that we can tuck into God every once in a while when things get bad, but God actually invites us to take up residence in him, to be surrounded by him, to be filled by him, that God himself is our roof and our walls and our foundation. And throughout the Bible, they kind of knew this. They knew this in a world that predated our real estate economy, and you couldn't go to realtor.ca and peruse everything that's out there, where often their homes were makeshift and very temporary, but they knew what it meant to live in God. Moses said in chapter 90 of the Psalms, Psalm 90 verse 1, Lord, he prayed, you have been our home, our home since the beginning. A powerful thought, isn't it? That God is your home is the place you are meant to to relax and retreat from the pressures of the world, a place that is familiar to you. God is meant to be the familiar territory into which your soul rests. And just like your own home, nobody has to tell you when you walk inside where your bedroom is. You don't need directions into the kitchen. And after a hard day of scrambling around at work and trying to make your way through the world, it's nice to come back to a place that's your own, isn't it? It feels safe. It, it feels secure. There's a serenity there. And the idea is that God, God can be as familiar to us as the surroundings, the physical surroundings of our address. And with time, you learn instinctively, just as you do in your own house at night when the lights are off. You don't do this, but at your house when the lights are off and you go down the stairs and you open up the fridge and hope nobody heard you because you just want a little something. With time, God can be that familiar. You know where to go for nourishment, where to find protection, where to find guidance. Just as your earthly house is a place of refuge, God's house is a place of refuge. Oh, God, you are our refuge and strength. How often do the Psalms begin that way? God's house has never been plundered. God's walls have never been breached. And God says this to to all of his people, that that I am your dwelling place through all the generations. He wants to be your 
dwelling place. If we were to take that, that real estate analogy a little bit further, we know that in addition to the homes where we spend most of our time, there are lots of temporary homes in our life. You, you book a cabin in the woods for a week of vacation. Um, you signed up for MCBC camping. Yay, MCBC. And you unfold your tent. You pitch a tent. You roll up some sleeping bags, a temporary domicile. Maybe some of you even have vacation property that you go to regularly. But, but here's where the analogy really starts to get into trouble. I think God has very little interest in being just a destination getaway for people. Just a sort of weekend away. You don't use God as a tent that you fold up when it's inconvenient, or a vacation cabin, or, 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 or even, even more pronounced, as a retirement home. See, God's my insurance policy for later in life, but I don't really need to live in him today. Listen to the promise of Jesus. John 14, verse 23. Jesus says, if my people love me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. He will come to them and make our home with them. For a lot of people, this is going to be a new thought. And, and we're going to spend a fair bit of time teasing this out. It's easy to think of God sometimes just as a deity that we discuss, a topic of conversation, not, not a place that we dwell. We think of God as mysterious, a miracle worker, but not a house that we live in. God's the creator. We can call on him, but, but is he the home that we reside in? Our father wants to be that and more. The one in whom, you remember the verse, we live and move and have our being. Again, in the Old Testament, they got this, maybe in ways that were harder for us because, boy, so much of our lives are invested in tending to the physical home. It... Uh, it comes for large pieces of our paycheck every month, rent or mortgage. It requires large pieces of our energy to maintain and upkeep. But, but in the Old Testament, when that was maybe less so, there was, there was this huge openness to the idea that God himself surrounded them. In the Old Testament, Jehovah led his people, Israel, through the wilderness. and said he didn't just show up for them once a week and then leave them on their own. Sometimes I imagine that's... That's the weekday rhythm of our lives. God shows up for us on Sunday, we recharge, and then we go do life without him until we show up the next Sunday. But no, it wasn't that way. It said God was with them constantly. He was like a pillar of fire through the night. He was like a, a pillar of cloud present during the day. God never left them. Jesus said as much. The very last words he spoke on earth, I'm with you always. To the end of time, I'm with you always. You can't go where I'm not. Your faith, I promise you this, your faith will take a quantum leap forward when you begin to understand and accept the perpetual presence of the Lord, that God is with us always. He is the fire of our nights. He is the cloud that leads us through the day. He never leaves us. And heaven knows no difference between Sunday morning and Wednesday afternoon. God speaks just as clearly in the workplace as he does in the sanctuary. And maybe... Maybe you and I go days without thinking about him, but there's never a moment when he's not thinking about you. And it's because of that awareness that, that the Apostle Paul, who, who, who kind of, he, he just got it one day, the perpetual presence of the Lord. 
It's why he can say things like this. He says, we're going to make this our rigorous goal. 2 Corinthians 10. We're going to capture every thought, everything coming in. We're going to give it up and we're going to obey Christ. We're going to turn that over to Jesus. Why? Because all of it happens in the presence of God in whom we live and move and have our being. He goes on. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer. Pray in the spirit at all times. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Even David, David, a man after God's own heart, is how the Bible describes him, said, this one thing, this one thing I asked the Lord. These are the words that Bashar read. To live with him in his house my whole life long. And I'll contemplate his beauty and I'll study at his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. So what is this house of God? This this thing that David seeks? Physical structure? Because there are descriptions of physical buildings in the in the Old Testament. You know, temple, tabernacle, uh, Does he imagine that that God then shows up and lives only within these buildings? No, no. God was never bound to a building. But but does it mean that there's something deeper at stake? Our God does not live in temples built by human hands, it says in Acts 17. So when David says, I will live in the house of the Lord, I'm not sure so much that he's looking for a a physical place, a destination where he can run and hide, a cathedral or a monastery. He can be in God's presence and outside of all the responsibilities of life. No, that's that's not it. And maybe you're thinking, you know, David, I mean, we love reading the Psalms and we love what David has to say, but, but it's David. I mean, David, the poet and the prince and the giant slayer and and David is not me, and he doesn't have to deal with what I have to deal with, carpools and diapers and a boss who just breathes deadlines into my world like dragons breathe fire. I'd love to live in this theoretical father's house. It sounds like Wonderland, but I'm stuck in the real world. Right? You find yourself, let's get real, the real world. Well, let me push back a little bit. What if it's not true that you're stuck in the real? I mean, the real world is not going anywhere, but what if you're not stuck there? What if just the opposite is true, that you are that you are only ever one step away from the house of God wherever you are? Whatever time it is, whether you're in the office on Thursday, soccer practice on Saturday, you're only a decision away from the presence of your Heavenly Father to enter it doesn't require an enormous expensive real estate transaction or paperwork. It requires not so much a change in address as a, as a change here, a change in perception. Your car is stuck in traffic. Let's step into the chapel. We're in God's house for these moments. That, that huge gust of temptation takes you right off your feet. Let's step back behind the protective walls of the great house of God. Other employees are running you down and and just making you feel so, so poorly about yourself. Well, maybe it's time just just to sit in the porch swing with your heavenly father and, 
And listen to the one voice that really matters. Tell you who you are and why that's important. Again, this is not a house made out of stone. You won't find it on a map. You won't find a listing on realtor.ca. But you'll find it in your Bible. And you've seen the blueprint before. Some of you think, no, no, we've never seen this. But I, I promise you, you've seen this. You've read the names of the rooms. You know the layout. You're familiar with the design. But the chances are you never actually, as you were reading it or listening, thought of this as a house plan. When you heard the words, you thought of them as a prayer. And they are. Of course they're a prayer. A beautiful prayer. Probably the most famous prayer we have. The, the one you remember the moment where, where the disciples waited on bated breath because somebody had worked up the courage to say, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? What's he going to say? What's he going to say? It'd be difficult to find someone who has not heard the words or quoted the words of the Lord's Prayer. But I'm going to invite you to say them with me for the first time today in a new way. And then, boy, you're going to get to know these because this is the house we're going to live in for the next three months. So I'm going to offer a phrase. You're going to repeat it after me. And we're going to go through the great house of God. Let's start. Our Father. Will you say that? That's the foundation of the house. Everything is built on that, our Father, who is in heaven. Remember, this is, this is a grand house. It's got rooms we don't have. How about an observatory to observe the grandeur of God? Hallowed be your name. Welcome to the chapel. I hope you return here often. Your kingdom come. Hey, this house has a throne room. Good to be able to inhabit the throne room with the one who sits on the throne. Your will be done. What is God's purpose and plan for my life? Well, let's, let's climb into the study and let's figure that out. On earth as it is in heaven, the fiery presence of the will of God. Will you say that? On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Did you pray that already today? Good one to pray every day. Hey, welcome to the kitchen. Every house has one. Every house needs one. It's the first place people go, right? When you kept into a new home, we'll spend time there talking about the provision of God. Forgive us our debts. In a sense, this is the roof over us that, that keeps the storms of life both from drowning us as they fall from above and also drowning us as they well up from underneath. Forgive us our debts. As we have forgiven our debtors, you're going to have to wait for the explanation why here, but houses have hallways. That's how we move from place to place. It's where we bump and grind against people along the way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Houses have walls. They're there for a variety of reasons. They're not just there to keep the roof up. They're there for the protection of those who are inside. And let's read this last one together. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Welcome back to the chapel again. Listen, the Lord's Prayer. The children memorize this. Churchgoers have recited it for 2,000 years. Students study it. I, I want to challenge us to do something different with it. I want you to imagine... 
moving into it. Uh, just to, to, to grab hold of that metaphor, we're going to live in this. This will be the floor plan for our spiritual house for the next three months during the summer. And these verses, I, I want to suggest to you that Jesus provides more than just a model for prayer. This is how you should pray. What he's actually providing is a model for living. This is how you should live in the great house of God. They tell us more than just what to say to God. They tell us how to live with God, how to exist with God. And they describe this great house fashioned by God for his people where we were intended to live with him forever. So that's where we're headed. Next three months, we're going to step inside the words of the prayer and take a look around. And using the metaphor of a home, we'll walk from room to room and really get to know the Father's house. I know the perfect place to begin. I imagine that this is where God likes to start with most of his guests. As he draws them into the living room, And then points to a photo hanging over the mantle. It's his favorite picture. He wants everyone to start there. Gaze on the face above the mantle. So that's where we start next week. I hope you'll come back as we look first at that face that God was so intent that we all see. And listen as that voice prays, Our Father who art in heaven. Let's pray for today. God, would you still our hearts and allow us to hear what it is that we needed most to hear in these moments. And then God, would you fill our hearts with all the promises that are embedded in those words we just read. The prayer of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. There's something for each of us in this, Lord, and we want to recognize it, we want to acknowledge it, receive it, and then celebrate it, and thank you for your goodness. God, for, for some of us, the language of home is it's unfamiliar. It's unwelcome. It's, sometimes it's even hostile. We yearn for it, and we don't have it. For some of us, the language of home is is something we've settled into and we've settled for too little. Whatever our starting point, God, we we pray that, that you would take us by the hand and lead us step by step, room by room, into the home that you prepared for our own souls. We pray it in the name of Jesus that a beautiful face, that first face that God invites us to see. We pray it using the words that he gave us. Our Father, our Father. Hear our prayer, for we offer it in Jesus' name. Amen.